Welcome to The Take, where I sit down with filmmakers, artists, and world-class raconteers, and we talk about story, life in the biz, and what it all means. Today I sit down with filmmaker Nico Quinones. Nico is a director, producer, and founder of Quinones Productions, which is a full-service production company based out of Miami, Florida. Nico has an innate ability to combine his journalistic roots with a cinematic lens in order to create compelling and visually stunning pieces of content. Nico's most recent commercial piece starred Zoe Saldana, Rosary Dawson, Eva Longoria, and promoted Latino voting participation. Nico is currently working on an episodic series titled Under the Influence, which delves into our obsessive compulsion with social media and the consequences that is having on our society as a whole. I was able to see a trailer for Nico's series, Under the Influence, and it blew me away. Growing up, Nico always had a camera in his hand. A lot of kids will say that a certain movie inspired them to be a filmmaker. For Nico, it was the act of actually making content which inspired him to want to pursue it further and advance his skills. At a young age, Nico interned for the local television network in Park City. Him and his brother traveled to Guatemala to shoot a documentary that explored America's crusade to help orphan children of the indigenous Mayan population. Nico interned for the famous Spike Lee, attended NYU Film School, and has not stopped running since. On top of being a wonderful filmmaker, Nico's a great friend of mine for many years, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nico Quinones. Welcome to The Take, Nico. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk around. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If gonna, you don't mind, make a little move. I'm gonna follow you. I'll wrangle the cord behind you the whole time. You follow me if you don't mind. <laughs> so, uh, what are you doing in LA, Mister Miami? Um, I am hanging out in LA. We're doing a couple meetings for Under the Influence, which is this doc series that I've been working on for a while. Um, and yeah, doing that. And uh, my dad does a Steve Harvey show. I know, Steve, that's awesome. which is now just Steve. So it's, it's not the Steve Harvey show. It's just it's the Steve, Steve show. No, it's just Steve. That's the There's show. There's no the and show. The, people Steve. know it's a show. They know the word the. It's just Steve. Steve. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I had the, the pleasure of watching the uh, the sizzle you created for Under the Influence. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited yeah. about that. And are you still doing – you're still doing collecting interviews and everything like that for it? Yeah. So we did like uh, – uh, when Fire Festival happened a year oh, – a bit over yeah, a year yeah, ago now. Talk, talk a little about what – under the influence is yeah so uh it's a doc about a doc series about the meteoric rise of the smartphone uh and social media in our cultural time and place and so uh it started as kind of being a little more narrow what focused was that Mm -hmm. it was you know when fire festival happened i had all these thoughts on my mind about um social media and kind of didn't know how to articulate them and then this music festival like the coachella of the bahamas was supposed to happen caught my attention there was all this huge social media advertising push for it mm-hmm. and then the whole thing fell apart again on the same stage this social media stage yeah. that it kind of came up on so it came up and fell apart on the same thing and i thought that was the perfect way in to start telling this story so i started interviewing people and they thought they were going to tell me about like their gripes with the music festival so i let them get through that but yeah. that wasn't at all what the story was about like they told me their crazy experiences we started interviewing people coming back from miami when the faa grounded the planes um so we invited them to an interview setup. They came in and they sat down and talked to me. And once we started to get through the fire stuff, I was like, all right, so let's talk about why you went to fire and what motivated, uh, mo- motivates us and kind of going way more into the social media side. Um, 
of the conversation. And the fire Festival is just like the perfect example of how someone can be influenced by something that's not real. Right. It's just all sizzle, what, no all, steak. All sizzle, no steak. Yeah. And that's that's like completely what social media is, right? Yeah. I mean, it's everyone living this perfect life on social media, and these people, a lot of them are depressed or what, whatever. But on social media, they only post what the best pictures of their life. Yeah, and I think that was like that was definitely the the overarching theme for me and like the yeah. way in and and then from there it obviously goes forward right because it's like i don't i didn't want to paint something that was just like doomy and gloomy and that's what led me to want to do a series was mm-hmm. i didn't want to just make this 90 minute one-off doc about like simply that idea okay i wanted to explore the whole space because social media is just something that like grew legs and started running before in my opinion before like the people who even created it had any idea what it was capable of and how big it would become yeah. and, and um it's a great idea to say like oh let's connect the world in every way possible and then once that happens and you create those platforms it becomes a whole different playing field and yeah. so um so that motivates me to keep telling this to keep telling the sto- many stories that are involved in this and if there's positivity i'm not discounting it if somebody yeah. has a story to say that's like you know here's an amazing thing and about there definitely social media. is there are yeah of course there is right yeah, yeah. yeah because things have, have the bottom line is things are possible now that were not possible before. People, everyone right? has a voice. Right. Which is, yeah. I mean. But also everyone yeah, has a voice. Also everyone has a voice. God, pipe it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so that's the. Uh, but even with the social media, everyone has a camera. It's, I think it's just a huge yep. thing. I mean, with just police brutality too, right? I mean, people are like, I feel like you hear people talk about how they think police brutality is maybe up. But it's really just now everyone has a camera. It's always been right. happening. Right. Right. There's not a right. increase. And that's that is something that through line keeps coming up in this documentary series of like the idea of it's always been happening. There were always magazines. People were always photoshopped. Sure. There was always yeah. that. Like there was mm-hmm. always models and infl- quote unquote influencers and and people endorsing celebrities endorsing products. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. But uh, but my kind of uh, contention at this point is that it's way more powerful than ever before. Yeah. Magazines didn't just use – you can't continually flip a magazine into oblivion. You can get yeah. on Instagram and flip that and sit there you for hours. You can sit all day if you yeah, want. Because it's as if a magazine is printing new pages as you're going, and it's it's this idea of like that. that's what um, – it's learning about you. It knows your yeah. habits. It knows all your data. It knows what you like. It knows what you sit on for longer than something else. So that whole uh, idea is – is big. They call data the new oil. Uh, one writer called it that. Oh, and, and interesting. That's, some, that's something that's like that we're new... focusing on in one episode for sure because it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Could, would you be able to give? Is it uh, too early to give kind of a, a kind of an episode scope of what you're gonna dig into, or do you want to kind of? Save I think. It? Yeah. I think. I think I'll save a bit of it. But okay. I, but but for sure, like the first episode, I think I was mentioning to you is called "Move Fast and Break Stuff," which was Mark Zuckerberg's original kind of thesis yeah, for crazy. what would drive Facebook, and I and that speaks a lot. I think about the space and about what it was done and kind of the the bravery and the um, I don't know how to say this, but I guess it's the type of invention where you're not sure um, if you should the morale, the ethics behind it. Yeah, where it's like you make this thing and undoubtedly it's brave to make something new and to, to make a new path and to create something you know, that the whole world can use. And mm-hmm. I don't have experience creating something. I can't imagine what it would be like to create Facebook or yeah. Snapchat or Vine or whatever. But having said that, I can imagine thinking about the ethical side of it. And that's something um, that a lot of people are talking about. Now I think it's time to have that discussion. I mm-hmm. definitely think I'm I'm a voice that is qualified to have it just because I think I asked the right questions. It's mm-hmm. not to say I know all the answers, but I definitely 
not ask the questions about this stuff, which really we grew up with. Like we are an interesting um, group because our age group, we had so we we weren't we weren't totally inundated by we didn't have smartphones in front of us when we were no. like babies at the table, yeah. you know. So there's that. Um, so I'm I'm interested in the difference between us and them in that sense. Um, but also the fact that it came up like halfway through our lives. Yeah. So I think we did see it change. We did. And it, we do know a bit yeah. of both sides. I feel like we have an interest. You were born in 1991, right? Right. I was born in 1990. So we were like the last generation before the takeover. Right. In a way, right? Right. And when did you get your first cell phone? I think I was like 10 or 11. Wow, really? So really early. Oh, you were early. I think it was very early. Yeah. yeah. I, I was in eight, eighth grade. Yeah. Is when I got my first cell right. phone. It was a flip phone. Right. You know? But, uh, but imagine that, like maybe I was, I don't know, maybe I was 12 or, or you know, but or 13, but it's like still in my mind, that's still very young. Yeah. And in some of the interviews I've done, you know, we went out and talked to one of the episodes was called, is going to be called Pleasant Grove. Mm-hmm. And we went out to talk to Skipper Coates, who's this teacher in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Yeah. And she went viral because she wrote on the board. What my parents don't know about social media is blank to her classroom full of middle schoolers. And they wrote back anonymously on this car, on these cards, all this crazy stuff. And um, really interesting stuff. And it, it was the first time I felt a real distance from kids because I was like, man, you forget that kids are just human beings. They're sinister and they can be, and the way, and it, it then it hit me like, oh, of course that's how kids would use like yeah. so all these different things, all these twisted ways that social media and smartphones were being used. Of course kids would do that because yeah. that's just what kids do. Yeah. So it, it's interesting how the social climate has changed and how that's such a big part of it um, but it's like growing a, like up, a, it makes sense looking back on it. You yeah, because for most, you might have had a cell phone a little earlier, but I feel like for most of our our peers, middle school, we didn't have no one. Most middle schoolers didn't have cell phones. Right, right. We had AIM or brands, in, instant message. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, AOL. Would you get on at night? And I remember I'd like try to like say hi to like, you know, one of the hot girls in class, and you say hi back, and then you have no idea what to say next. You're like, all right, uh, uh, dinner. Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's crazy that we got to see kind of the the transition. Yeah, and now kids, I imagine when they go to kindergarten, might even have a cell phone. Yeah, right. I mean, and then quickly or they, or after they're, that, they're three years old with an iPad. Right, and you, it's a natural step, right? Yeah. Because once you have these devices, you do start to get apps, and you do start to get on the different platforms that these devices connect. And they make to. kit, they make apps for toddlers. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. So it's just, yeah. And a lot of people remark on how proficient kids are with these things yeah like operating these devices people often say like oh look at little you Mm -hmm. know look at him look how he can use it and it's often treated as like a very smart thing or very admirable or very good thing you know this kid is and obviously i don't know what it's like to be a parent at this age i wouldn't want to i think initially my gut reaction is to not raise somebody who lacks those skills yeah like (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah you don't want them to not be able to operate this thing because it's in it's just truthfully a part of our lives. Yeah. But I do think it's you time for the discussion. You want to give them something else. Yeah. And Apple just came out with these limits and all that stuff. And and, and I think that that's something but that use and screen time yeah. is starting to become a discussion. So I think it's the right time for Here's the show. Here's something interesting. Though. We grew up as ch- children without this stuff. So we want to give our kids something similar. But think about the next generation who didn't grow up without that. Why would they want to give their kids something that they didn't – you know what I mean? Like we have this like nostalgia for our childhood where we were playing outside or whatever. But – you're born now, your kid, you might not want to give them that same uh, that break. It's just interesting to think about. Like, yeah, because social media, where it is right now, you think, like, how could it get more? How could it get bigger? But, right, it's only going to get more uh, impactful to our lives and more intertwined, I yeah. imagine. And inform more sectors of our yeah. lives and, and affect us in different ways. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it's like 
that's why you see what I mean about the serious thing was yeah. that I realized like, man, this is overwhelming. Like I was panicking when the subject, like, <laughs> yeah. when the subject matter hit me. Cause I yeah. was like, Holy shit. Just sitting there kind of like, this is a lot to attack as one person or as a young yeah. filmmaker. I was like, this is a big, you know, this is a, this is large subject matter. Yeah. Um, but the way in started to be to have these conversations. Cause as I was, ha- I started to have these conversations. I started learning more about it and listening to people and thinking about the ways that these things inform each other and how it all kind of ties together. Even though these people are totally, as you saw in the teaser, totally from all walks of life, sure, all yeah. types of people from all areas, um, are affected by this. And that's something that, uh, that fascinates me. It ties us all together. We all have something to say about it. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very interesting. You'd be in our, you know, everyone's parents, grandparents are on Facebook. It's not like it's not just a where it first started out. Maybe it was a, you know, college thing, but now it's it's everybody. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, they're like um like four. You go back like forty years, and they were predicting the future, and they're predicting flying cars and jetpacks, and like no one predicted the internet and social media. Like that is just that came out of left field and is 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 what has changed our world. Not these flying cars or anything like yeah. that. That this is the future. Yeah, you know. And, and the discussion worldwide ends up being really interesting because there there is the question of like how what are the um, sp- specific and immediate impacts on people's lives right mm-hmm. so it's like oh, what are you paying attention to are you entra- you know you tra- are you entranced by this digital world and creating this digital persona rather than living your real life yeah. there's all that but then there's like what are the and we talked to, we spoke with uh, Rich Harris from the New York Times who was fascinating about how does this affect the world on like a political much higher level mm-hmm. that is trends and is what if there are bots out there leaving certain comments just to stir the pot? Well, it happened, right? Like, in this exactly. election. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And a bunch of things like that happen. Yeah. And I just I say what if because um, there is a myriad of ways that this stuff can be used and it's in everyone's hands. <laughs> so yeah. It's just, yeah. It's in everybody's hands. So it's not something where you're like, well, it's in. You don't have to pass. It's yeah. like, you know, to get a gun, you have to maybe like they get a background check or something. Hopefully they do. Maybe. Maybe. Depends where you are. I don't know. Yeah. But you could, anybody can go send a, like a mean tweet. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to have any qualification to, to be read by anybody in the world. Right. And then flip that to the other side of it too, where it's like, you know, for stars or for people who are known politically or for whatever, you can message or comment on these people's lives now or their, you know, and again, it just raises a whole thing on that. Maybe some pe- some of these people don't even run their own social media anymore because of that. Because there there needs to be such protection. And, but yeah. there is a real humanity to reading something, feeling attacked. And I know there are celebrities that have done that. Like where yeah, it's like yeah. you read something, they're really like hurt by it, and they, and they go respond. after some dude in Kansas yeah. because he's commenting, you know, on their, yeah, on their social media. What do you media. know? <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> I mean, think about though. Like you're you're out to dinner, you've had a couple glasses of wine, you open your soul, you get a notification, it's someone just tearing your whole life apart. <laughs> like, right, it's and there's a, there's yeah. a humanity to yeah. you know there, there's all and I, I I understand the point that like you would need to know more you need to learn to, how to manage that yeah. if you are in a position of power or if you are in a, you know representing a company or et cetera et cetera but there's a real human side to this. Well, it's interesting how people, behind, you know, they would something they would never say face to face to somebody. They have very easy are able to say it over lo- online. And that's just an interesting human quality that just right. seems to happen, right? right? Like if you're hiding behind your computer, you can, you know, the consequences aren't the same as saying something right face to face. And I sp- we spoke to also in the Pleasant Grove episode, spoke to Evan Coates, who's a behavioral psychologist, okay. and he was fascinating with that idea, right? Okay. Because if you have that veil, if you have that mask, you can put on, and you can also another key part of it with behavior is like you can 
do your thing, and log off and close it. Mm-hmm. You and, separate from yourself. Yeah. And anything that you want to – his point was anything that you want to do like that in that way. Yeah. Kind of like put on a mask, run in there, do something, and get out. <laughs> it's a putting it's on a mask. Normally not like it's it's normally not a great thing. Whatever it is one yeah. is doing, you're not that putting makes on a mask, like, running yeah, in like, and giving someone money. And yeah, running exactly. Out. You're not gonna go like you know do something that's really great for yourself or for others. Um, often, if you have that veil, like that veil isn't. Um, now, of course, there's the argument that like I interviewed Perez Hilton and he said, uh, you know that that it was a big deal. He lived in a very conservative, he lived in Miami, mm-hmm. went to a conservative all boys high school, being gay at that high school is certainly not easy, mm-hmm. at the, especially at the time. And so for him, the internet was an escape and the internet was an abil- a way to find himself and to write and to express himself and all these different things. And I think that is an equally legitimate point. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it always goes that way. Like, sure. You know, yeah. with, or, or if it more off, or which way it more often goes. What's or, the or common we, reaction? Or do we just, you know, hear more about the ways it goes bad because it's more, you know, yeah. shocking to us? Yeah, that's true. That, that's that's a valid yeah. point too. And again, that's why what I keep coming back to is it's time for the discussion. Yeah, it's time totally. to have it, and it's an interesting one. It's it's super interesting. Every everyone deals with some kind of a little of addiction to it, and it's almost like kind of laughed about because it hasn't really been taken seriously yet as a real addiction. But if you if they came out, I think Joe Rogan said this on his podcast. But he said, you know, if you heard about some drug that makes someone stare at their hand for five hours a day, it would be an out. It would be the an epidemic, you know. But like that's basically what people are doing. They're staring at their hands. I mean, obviously they're they're getting information and everything else. But it's uh, to treat it like a, an actual addiction is something I think that you will start to see. Yeah, you know, like, and that's kind of the yeah. fine line that that this series is all about, and that what is driving me as a storyteller is like that walking that fine line of what you just said. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's staring at our hands, all, but again, we're exchanging information. We're yeah, doing business. Reading. We're yeah, reading. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, there's a lot going a lot on here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on yeah. here, and so that's that's what uh, is been interesting to pull the thread of. That's super cool. Yeah. So what what made you want? I mean, obviously, it's what we just talked about made you want to get into telling the story, but was was this something that you've been thinking about for a while that you wanted to dive into or I think it, it came uh, it definitely came up in a um, it was something like I said it was something that I was having difficulty articulating okay so it was like on my mind but I yeah. just didn't know how to say it and how to first break into it and how to how to first go about it and yeah. I think as I started to as the when the idea dawned on me and then I started having the conversations that's what kept driving me to do more kept just opening like, up more doors right and- because I just sort of realized like this is this is worth my time, you yeah. know, and this is worth all of our time to have this discussion. And no one's really having it in the way that I wanted to have it. People are definitely um, – the discussion is certainly being had by some great people. But I just think uh, that it took me a little bit to say, like, I'm one of them. And yeah. uh, I want to I have lead the charge into, make it into having this discussion. Yeah, well, watching your uh, teaser for the show is one of the few things where I'm like, I, I want this to succeed because I want to watch it. You know, I, I, I want to like. It's so interesting that yeah. you know, but uh, so let's let's go back a little bit. So you went to NYU for film school. I did. And you know, when you were coming out of film school, was uh, you know, you you created a your narrative feature, right? Homeward. Yeah. And then was was the narrative path? Did you think that's where you wanted to completely go, or did you? I mean, where kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Talk on that. Um. So when I was in school, I, for me, making movies was what 
always interested me, even mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. And I say movies, but making stuff. Sure. Like, ma- always making – I worked at a television station very young. I Park start- City TV. Yeah, Park City TV. Yeah. yeah, and so where we grew up. And yeah. I started interning for them when I was 11, called this guy, and didn't want – my dad was a journalist, and so I didn't want it to be associated with that at all. So I was like, okay, here's this Mormon guy. He's not going to know who my dad is. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to give him a call. And uh, and ended up – he was very cool, and Stanton Jones ended up letting me come by and started to work for them very young. So because of that, I was always fascinated. I wasn't watching movies, and that didn't drive me to say, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I want to do that. Like I've seen all these movies, and I want to – I liked watching movies, mm-hmm. but I really loved making stuff. So I, I was always interested in production um, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think when I got out of school, when I was in school, I started working for a bunch of other really talented directors as a gaffer, as a lighting designer. I had started, obviously, as a production assistant and climbed the ladder all the way to, to the head of the lighting department. But for some reason, that drew me. Um, a lot of the characters I met, I think, probably drew me to keep keep doing that work. And the fact that it was just this fascination with how do I make a movie if I'm alone in a room? Yeah. Like if it goes back to how it was when I was a kid and it was just me making stuff, I want to know the pieces uh, of the puzzle that are necessary. And Grip and Electric Department to me was fascinating because I just don't think a lot of people know that craft. No. And it's a very yeah. specialized craft. So I was like, well, I want to um, go into that. And mm-hmm. I think I'll learn a lot from doing so. So one of the projects that so, – and, and that, that grew as a career very quickly. Like I just started getting on more and more of these jobs and um, – and succeeding and they were tough but they, it was like definitely these jumps that i made so mm-hmm. a, a major client became victoria's secret started lighting all the victoria's secret commercials and um and they were very high caliber productions run in a very serious way and i think i learned a lot I took a lot of notes out of that book and that led to working on this project called the jinx for hbo mm-hmm. which was uh directed by andrew drecky who is an awesome director and was incredibly inspiring to me as we were on the production because as I was working on this thing, I started to realize like, wait, this is what the merger is of, I always loved Doc. And my father, like I said, my father was a journalist. Sure, and yeah. There was always this journalistic drive and this ethical drive that made me want to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And though that was always my favorite stuff. Like I always loved, loved documentaries and the good ones, like my specific kind of repertoire of these films that really drove me and oh, I would like, love to do something like that. So when I was on the set of The Jinx and then afterwards and watching the two, watching how the production went and how Jarecki went about making the series, I was just very much uh, entranced by that idea of like, okay, what if you were to take the bones of a great doc that could, quite frankly, look like shit and, you know, you would still watch it because what's driving it is just this terrific story. The story, yeah. And then covering that with cinematic level reenactments and not i don't reenactment sounds almost like doing a disservice to it but like covering it as a movie yeah shooting this thing as a movie even though it is a documentary Mm -hmm. and um seeing jarecki do that really reminded me of or really illuminated for me the path that i wanted to take with my career where i was like okay i think the the realistic first thing for me to be doing that like i really care about was not a fiction piece it ended up being truth like I was sort of like I have to chase something here that is truthful so I started doing a lot of like branded doc work working for d- making documentaries for different people uh, for different brands corporations making commercials you've done a lot of industrial work yeah right? yeah and doing all that was just like I viewed it as just sharpening my teeth sure. like I just viewed it as like I'm gonna just keep telling stories different stories mm-hmm. in a v- in ways that challenge me and 
something is going to come up and be like a thorn in my side that's just going to bother me that I'm going to want to just be like, okay, I have to make this now. Mm-hmm. And and that's how it feels for me. It's like, no, I don't mean to take away from the beauty of, of, of or the, uh, of a more idealistic look at the process. But like, for me, it definitely feels like a bit of a weight, like for a while where it's like, oh, okay, I got to do this thing. It's not dreamy. It's not easy, yeah. but it's like, I, I have to attack this story. And that's how it ended up feeling with under the influence was, it just hit me. I was like, this is really big. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I have the money to do this. I don't want all that stuff. Um, but that trepidation pales in comparison to how important the story is. Sure. So that's how I view it. It's like, I got to take a swing. And you just started. Yeah. I think there, there's such a uh, uh, reward to just starting something before you're ready. You know, like, I, absolutely. Like th- this, this podcast, for instance, I was like, you know, like, what do I know about podcasting? Why would anyone want to listen to me or whatever? And I was like, I'm just gonna like just start interviewing people, and you know it's just just starting it creates a momentum of its own. Absolutely. And have you felt that with uh, with under the influence? Just when, once you started it, then it just opens up and that people come on, and now you, it, it just builds momentum, and the longer you go with it, momentum is a great yeah. word. And I think in in general with with everything is like, but especially with, but especially with that, uh, it's like with starting a project it's start like and, and also pulling on a thread you know it's like that's what yeah. i think of a lot is like you start pulling on this thing and it ends up being taking you to places you might not have imagined mm-hmm. and, and that and like i said that can sound dreamy but it's not yeah and so you were you were doing a lot of uh uh grip and electric work in new york and then you basically you base you, you moved back to miami and that's is that that's really really where you started quinones productions was it in miami so New York's productions, I started in New York, but okay. I moved, but I'm, yeah, really, really start, took off full time, like full time in Miami. Yeah. And, um, and that was something that, again, that's interesting. Something I did a lot of thinking on and, yeah. and I'm always like, man, where should I be? And yeah, where should yeah, I be I based at all yeah. times? And like always talking about stuff like that. And that's always something that's on my mind. And New York's a big part of my heart. Um, I like the work I've done in LA, anything I've done in LA or be, just being in LA mm-hmm. too is awesome. So, uh, so I do a lot of thinking on that and I think it was, uh, interesting looking back on it that this started in very much on the ground in miami because well, the planes the, got grounded yeah that's crazy at miami international airport yeah and so it's like realizing that i was a instagram direct message away from these interviewees mm-hmm. and was sitting there and just thought you know what like fuck it i'm gonna set up the camera i'm gonna do the thing set up an interview get our crew ready and just start bringing people through to to start asking questions yeah. that i'm fascinated by and for me, that was a hard first step because there was a lot of ways that I could talk myself out of it. There's a lot of ways mm-hmm. I could say like, oh, this isn't going to be worth it. You know, I'm just going to like start and not be able to finish and it's going to depress me. Sure, that like yeah. I'm going to begin this big project that I care a lot about and then nothing will happen. And as I started to do it, like you said, that momentum was really pivotal to me because mm-hmm. things started to happen and people started to say this is worth your time and this is worth a conversation and it wasn't just the other people but kind of the or the other people telling me that it was also the light bulbs that went off in them that inspired me where Mm -hmm. i just could see that while having this conversation it was interesting to people and uh and a worthy conversation so i was like well let's spend more time and energy trying to make this thing happen well i think that's cool that uh you know you you move i remember you talking about like do i need to be in new york to be a filmmaker right but you moved to miami Back to Miami, where you, you you have maybe a more sense of home to you, right? And there is where the epitaph of the, your whole story starts with this documentary. Like, if you weren't in Miami, you might not have. That's like you know you hear people. I, I deal with this where I'm an actor and in LA. Like, oh, I have to be in LA. I can't not leave LA. And it's just like 
it's this thing that you just say and do, but like you maybe can <laughs> go live somewhere else, you know? I'm like, I'm like, wait, like if I, like, why do I have to be in LA? Like how many meetings have I actually had in LA in the last month? Like it's, it's an interesting thing where you, yeah. you feel like you have to be in a certain right. place. Right. And, and that's been a big part for me was like, is like looking at your resources, be them, whatever those are mm-hmm. like the resources for telling a certain story for writing a piece you're working yeah. on for making a piece of music for acting a piece it's like sometimes you can you have sometimes these things necessitate going all over these projects necessitate like being in a, in a lot of places and one of those big two places new york or la isn't always the impetus of the story sure and like it could be yeah, yeah sure but but i think and for some people but um i find it interesting that like every time i look back at this i'm just like damn, I kind of had to be in Miami for that first step to happen. Yeah. And it would have been even easier to talk myself out if I was in New York. Yeah, like if I, I was sitting in New York, yeah, and, go yeah. home and do the thing just for this doc that yeah. I'm funding. Yeah, you know. Someone else is probably already doing it yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know? And that's been another big – that's a good point you bring up. Yeah. Is like That's something I've struggled with this whole time through this. That was another part was like I should just start telling my story the way I want to tell it and not mm-hmm. worry so much about the fact – that like someone else might be doing their own thing on this huge sure. topic, like, and and there was um, there was folks who I was working with at the beginning of the process that were going a different direction. They were telling a different story, mm-hmm. and that was something that was it ended really well with them. But I treated it. I was very honest and transparent with them about that. Like, look, I don't know if I'm interested in just the fire festival. Yeah. I think I'm interested in, in a the different story picture. here. And, and that is what's more interesting. I think you know, the, the fire festival, I feel like is interesting until, you know, next year. Right. You know, but it, to, to lead into the bigger conversation, which you're tapping into is interesting for everybody for, you know, next 50 years, who knows? Right. Um, yeah. And that was another part of, of, of making it was where I was like, you know what, if this is something like I show my kids down the road and not a soul, you know, this like stays on my shelf gathering yeah. dust. I think I'd be proud of it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was, that's been big, a big motivator throughout the process yeah. is reminding myself that I'm not really doing this for anyone else. The, the other, the interest in it is awesome and inspiring and it makes me want to keep going. But originally I didn't want to tell this story for some sort of gain because there isn't an exact one yet. It was yeah. just sort of like, oh, I'm going to start telling this thing and try to do it the best way I can. Yeah. You know, and, and that, it affected the timeline to realize that no one else is telling this story through my eyes. Yeah, it can't be. Right. Yeah. Did uh, did your you know your dad being obviously John Quinones and you know a staple in the journalist community? Did he give you uh, kind of confidence in that, like being able to to stick with the idea that a vision through your eyes is is uh, you know unique in its own? Yeah, he and my brother were certainly instrumental in in that call, like bl- I'll call it like blind encouragement, yeah. which I think is amazing because it was even cooler that that they didn't know what I was really working on, yeah. but knew that it hadn't seen stuff and all that stuff, but didn't know just those tenets of journalism in the sense that like it might feel like this, or you might think you missed sure, it, or yeah. you might you know you might think but someone just, else just, is going to tell the story faster, or you might th- this that the yeah. other. Um, managing those worries is something he's done his whole career mm-hmm. and um, and that my brother has done within his career as well. And so having those conversations was definitely big to me because it made me have that much more pride in the piece when I showed them because yeah. it, it, started, it started to be like, all right, you were right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Does, does having the last name Quinones, is that uh, 
it's obviously a blessing, right? Has it been a blessing, yeah. but is it is a is it uh, added more pressure? Oh, so you're right because yeah. you're like there's expectations oh, yeah. immediately, right? Absolutely. Like I, I'm definitely. Um, well, first of all, it's a funny thing. Like when you bring up having exactly a last name, Quinones, having the last name is funny because literally just the other day, someone I uh, put up a picture of my dad on Instagram, and so, one of a uh, makeup artist who works with me a lot, works with our company a lot, was like, "Any relation?" <laughs> yeah, you're like, no. I was like, yeah, it's my dad. And she was like, no way. Like, I love what would you do, blah, blah, blah. Like, awesome. you know, and so it's funny because sometimes, and someone, uh, a DP who worked with us on an interview for the first time watched me do an interview. And then we came home, we were dropping some cases uh, by my office, and he sees the picture of, of my dad. And he's yeah. like, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, like, I thought you were really like, good at interviews. Uh, <laughs> nice. and, uh, and, and so it was funny. But so there's that. Like, there definitely is a blessing side of it. But um, I do think that it, it in internally has put has caused the more pressure. Kinda. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The shadow effect and like putting and, and putting just more pressure on myself from being around not even so much the shadow as like just being around a bunch of really talented industry professionals. Mm-hmm. Where it was like these people had worked long and hard to develop their skills. And so I was exposed to them at a very young age. So I immediately thought I held work to a very, very high standard mm-hmm. and like always wanted to do the best type of work. Yeah. Um, and I think um, at times it would be easier to just do it, to like have come up and like, you know, I, I see these guys who, oh, yeah. well, uh, men and women in this business who have like just have a certain like freedom, freedom yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. to what they do yeah. because they don't measure it against those type of sure. um things want they're not constantly questioning and evaluating whether it's worth it or worth their time mm-hmm. or if it's gonna be done to that level and, yeah. I, and i think um that overall i'll certainly treat that as as a positive and Definitely. not something i would want to um give up and i always i also always think about um the fact that someone especially in our business always has it more difficult you know where mm-hmm. it's like there's always a way to have less connections and less everything course, in this business yeah. and so that's something that i try to be conscious of and that my dad has never been above and that's something i'm very proud of with our whole family it's like our whole family doesn't take for granted that you make some call and that like it works out i think yeah. we're very we come from migrant farm workers so yeah, we're like extremely that, humble and hungry the fact that your dad came up from the bot, you know, yeah. quote unquote bottom, you know, yeah. in rows all the way to the top. He didn't, he didn't have anything handed to him at all. No. That he would, yeah, that would completely be, that's his makeup. Yeah. That he wouldn't take it for granted. But yeah. Someone might have handed him a tomato, but. <laughs> then say, hand it back. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And, and that's something I see in him too that I think inspires me is that, yeah. is that there's always this hunger to do more, to try something mm-hmm. new, to say like, oh yeah, let's, let, let's try that. Like, let's make time for that. Yeah. Never just resting on his laurels and saying like, eh, I'm done. I'm tired. Yeah, show, your show's beat Seinfeld now, right? 12 seasons. How many shows have gone on? Is it 12 seasons? What were you doing? I on? think it's even more. 13. How many shows have gone on that long? I mean, he's got to be. Many. It's an elite. It's like yeah. the Simpsons. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like an elite category <laughs> of shows that have gone on for thirteen seasons. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And that's what I mean is that is that you wouldn't you know you don't get a lot of that from him, right? You don't get a no. lot of the like oh uh, you know no not uh, all. He's such he, he's down to earth, amazing yeah. guy. Yeah. So it's so it's not so so and I think that that is. Um, 
for him as well. That's something I've learned too is like that that it's a disservice to yourself and to your craft yeah. to lose track of certain things, mm-hmm. to to really um, blind yourself in your own bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like with your ego, own – right? Yeah, so, yeah. because – I think it's good to know when you make that you make progress and that and what your what your rate is and what you know what sure. your time's worth and all that stuff and I think that's very important and I think many people in this business are taken advantage of by people who uh, detract from that worth right mm-hmm. who are saying trying to get a good deal and kind of pull the wool over your eyes yeah. and say like you know this is yeah, what your time's worth a lot of being young, here exactly there's a lot of that right exactly um, but to to stay in touch with people. And that was something that was big for me about my, my Miami, New York move was like, or New York to Miami yeah. is that, you know, I wanted to, I felt that the first thing I made out of film school was very much for filmmakers, like a film for filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And Homer. yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, it was a story that had to do with my family. And again, I, I don't regret a, a bit of doing that, mm-hmm. but I think what there's a lack of connection with just people who watch stuff because it was made i think for the community i was in sure. where it was like that very much colored my perception it was like always around these like highly critical new york filmmakers mm-hmm. and that colors your perception yeah. and that colored my perception the way i the way i act each day and so i think being in miami remembering that a lot of these pe- people talking to people all the time who are not in the industry yeah. even working with people who are not in the industry um is helpful because it 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 shifts my perspective and challenged my perspective and reminded me that like a lot of times people are just scrolling around and watching stuff and that's who it really matters who how it affects them right Mm -hmm. it's not somebody who is going in to just give notes but also just somebody who likes watching stuff so therefore they're watching it you know they're not thinking about it on some artistic level yeah yeah well yeah that's interesting as as an artist i would imagine it's um very helpful to be around a lot of people who are not just in this have the same mindset as you right right i mean because you're trying to you i feel like a lot of an artist's job is to you know kind of put bridges between different thoughts there are different ways of thinking yeah and if you're just insular and just in like one little community i mean it's like it's like why hollywood makes so many movies about hollywood right i mean because like what do you you're a writer you're living in la what do you know like you know other writers like and so like well what if we wrote a script about a writer who who was at a coffee shop like because that's what you know so yeah it's interesting and what if it's there's so many stories that are outside those bounds yeah and, and I mean, so many things and so i think some of the best things too that are you know yeah and all that knowledge is useful i'm not at all trying to downplay the usefulness of of being highly skilled in a craft like yeah. i definitely think but it's just about informing the two yeah, I think exactly. you know, yeah. straddling that divide and being yeah. able to say like, all right, what matters here? Getting and I think taste. that's what the biggest directors and producers are. I think that's what's on their mind mm-hmm. is is not so much many of the minute details, but more so all of those are part of the job description. But I think what are those in service of? What are we doing here mainly? When you have a huge project of any kind and a bunch of logistics and all this stuff going on. I think the people at the top have to continually be asking, what is our North Star and what are we following here? What's our guiding light? You know, um, that's something that uh, is, I think, established by some of the best. Yeah. Yeah, that's well put. Um, where, so right now you're, you're doing, working on uh, Under the Influence, you know, blending journalism and story, I mean, storytelling, theatrical. 
um, effects. Uh, but uh, where, I guess I just want to kind of get a picture. What do you see as your, uh, if you had like a, you know, I don't know, I want to say like 10-year plan. But like, you know, what is your um, threshold for where you want to get to in your career? What is like, you know, some people would be like, I want to be, you know, the next Scorsese or something. You know, what, what do you have something where you're, you feel like you want to get to eventually uh, with what kind of projects you want to work on or? Certainly, I think like with I think this project is a big one that is driving me to be like, okay, this is the type of stuff. This I is the do. type of stuff. You okay, know, yeah. so so it's really like um, it's learning and being uh, vigilant to protect the idea and to do the best job I can with this one. Is how I'm really trying. To, I'm just trying to keep my eye on the ball, to be honest, because yeah. it's like, all right, I want to make sure to do this the best way I can, but also not shut myself down to any learning, not just walking in there like, listen, this is how I do things. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, I also want to have enough, you know, but you can't get run over. And I think that's something that, that I've definitely learned in my career so far. Yeah. It's like, you need to be able to put your foot down where necessary and say like, here's what's important. Here's what this project is. And that was part of why I made the teaser was because I had an exact vision about how I wanted to execute this mm -hmm. project. And it was like, wait, I need to do that to show people that I know that this is the way I'm executing this one because otherwise it's very hard for them to figure out how does this different from the next guy? Yeah. You know, what is, what is so specific about this project? And so for me, it's not necessarily a, Oh, I want to be the next so-and-so. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of filmmakers I admire where I, I think the type of work I want to be doing is in that vein where okay, it's okay. like, you know, this, this type of melding, this type of storytelling is very important to me. Yeah. Oh, speak of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> No, we're not done. Yeah. Well, well, there comes uh, Nico's dad, John. Right. John Quinones. How you doing? Yeah. What would you do? Well, <laughs> what would you do if John Quinones walked into the middle of your podcast? <laughs> You'd pull up a seat? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, who, who did uh, uh, Supersize Me? Morgan Spurlock. Mor Morgan Spurlock. Is that I remember? I remember we were at Sundance and you ran into him, right? Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, what what is he doing now? Is he is he still doing? I don't know. He's doing. I, I know he's doing episodic stuff. Like okay. he definitely. I know he's definitely doing something that's like uh, that's episodic. You know, where he went and moved on from one-off docs to like doing some some stuff that involves episodes. So he's he was doing like that day in the uh, thirty days show like in the life of of different people. Tried out all these different lives for thirty days, essentially okay, following yeah. a model of Supersize Me. But going in a, in a show for him, that's interesting. He, he kind of puts himself on the cross for all these. Oh yeah, <laughs> He's like, that's not what you want to do, huh? <laughs> nah, so yeah, you know, like, not so much. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, growing up under your dad, John, there, and seeing someone who's really, you know, made it is what anyone would say. What What would be your, uh, uh, you know description of making it like what would you have a certain level you want to get to that you think will be mean you know i've made it now and well it's really interesting you bring that up because we have uh the, the show that i've written that i'm working on is called getting there and it actually involved it would be for my dad to host yeah about making it in america stories about making it in america and the first episode looks at his story and then the rest kind of departs and goes to him figuring out more stories of other folks who have quote unquote made it in america mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of why the show is titled Getting There and what is that idea yeah, of getting is, there. It's yeah. like, so that's another fascination that I have and, and it's a story that, that I think is important to tell. It's like a lot of people think that there's going to be a time when problems disappear. Yeah, or when you kind of a somehow, false prophecy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that I've learned from 
from my dad too is that that watching that um, that your problems don't necessarily disappear. Things inarguably get e- you know the, the money brings things that are easier. Success sure. in people's fields brings something that makes life undoubtedly easier. Or or a lack of health challenges or certain things certainly makes your life easier mm-hmm. from an objective perspective. But um, but I think it, it is something that's fascinating and and thinking where do you want to get uh, and is there a place where you just it's kind of Shangri-La like there's a very grass is greener idea oh, to like I'm going to get somewhere and stop working or get to, it's more these questions of like what type of work do I want to be doing yeah. what uh, what are the struggles I will have what are the things that um, are worth it in the end for me to pursue mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about uh, about under the influence and definitely about getting there and I think and I intend to learn during that project too yeah. of like talking to these people about where they've gone and why they've gone there um, and the idea of of what that's done for them internally. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I talk to a lot of actors that they talk about, you know, if I could just be making a living as an actor. Right. That's what my definition of making. Right. Is. So, so maybe it, the definition is just be to be making a living doing and doing what you want to be doing. Exactly. You know, maybe not, we're not working as a waiter to, you know, support your film career, but making a living doing the, the jobs that you want to be doing. Yeah, and I think even within the space, too, it's like um, obviously nothing down on anybody who's doing something to supplement the career. No, That's great, no, no. but it's like... But obviously but those I think people also usually want to move past... Yeah. They want, yeah, and that happens within the industry, too, yeah. right? Where it's like, oh, I'm doing all this work to do sure. such and such work, yeah. and I think that's a big thing that we're constantly like reevaluating is what type of work am I doing and and why am I doing it? You know, so for me, it's like the commercial work has been great, um, but as I pick up projects like this that, that in the doc vein that really yeah. matter to me, um, I can tell that there's a difference and I can tell that there's, um, I've done certain jobs where uh, other ones interest me more you know yeah. where i'm just like okay like there's a certain coming from your certain heart. drive that comes from that and yeah. uh and that's not to say that it can't happen in the commercial world it's just that you find those trends well, for somebody that would be their their what they want i mean I feel like i feel like the difference is that like to me i feel like sometimes there's certain things where i have to put an artificial drive on myself to want to do right and there's other things that like i have to do it right you know what i mean um so that could be maybe the the difference between for you, maybe doing commercial work and making this doc, yeah. Where there, one is you enjoy doing it and you're learning from doing it, but the other is something that will is going to keep you up at night. Yeah, um, yeah. Or it. even if even just going more general than that, it's like you could even say for me a big part of it is like that people care about it, that the the team I'm working with cares about the project. Yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Like it's like that's another part is that that's a big part to me because I enjoy making stuff. So if I'm with that group of people, you know, I can find that. Uh, that way where I feel like it's w- somehow worth it. You yeah. Know, like that, although we climb this mountain, there's a reason for the struggle and, uh, and whatever that might be. And yeah. so those are the projects that I want to be on where it's just like, um, where it means something to, to more, someone, to, yeah. and to more than just the people bigger than just myself too. Yeah. It's like bigger than just, um, I mean, that, yeah, there has to be something driving it. And I think that's, that's why I, I feel like that's maybe why you gravitate towards true life stuff, maybe a little bit more, because there's a, there's a, there's a very strong obvious reason what you're doing, right? You know what I mean? It's not just we're making a story about this this guy and his dog for why, like no, you're make you're digging into a real topic 
that is going to have real impacts on people's life and change the discussion and you know yeah it's interesting that's a big part of what drives me yeah well cool man um any advice for uh younger filmmakers now that you're now that you're an old man <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean someone coming out of college i mean you kind of you came out of college and you felt like you had to make like you said you had to make homework you kind of like you had to make a movie to fit a certain mold i mean if you could give advice to yourself coming out of college would you make homework again or would you i mean what, what would you think you'd be with your advice to yourself if you were in your senior year of college right now that's a solid question. I mean, yeah. I would think I'll give you two. One, one, I, I said, I just one time somebody asked me for advice on set who was PAing, and I said, to, to be cool. Be and cool that was now. part of what you were saying when it came to not burning bridges in this industry yeah. and stuff like that. It's like a, a good common denominator, I think, in our, in our business is to, to be cool to be around. Because yeah. it's like, if you are, and I don't mean cool in the sense of, cutting edge or anything like that but cool in the sense of uh to be nice to people to be good to people mm -hmm. because and not for any real specific yeah not then that's not being nice right exactly yeah. like yeah to get for, for some yeah exactly yeah. for some sort of exact reason like that um because i think that's where the longevity is is yeah. the fact that you somehow someone asked me about that too is like you know i have a cousin who wants to be a director or something and they're they're asking this dp and he said well can, you know, can you get him on? Can you help him out? Can you get him on set? And it's like, well, I can't make him a director. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can, no, I can yeah. get him on set. Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, and that's the thing. And then yeah. they almost take the torch from there. It's like, yeah. if you get on uh, and on a set and people and you are good at whatever you are brought on for, chances are, and cool, somebody will probably say, hey, maybe you come to the next one. Yeah. You know, like, what are you doing? What are you doing Yo, next Tuesday? Work you know? hard and be nice. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a big one. Um, I agree. And then when it comes to, uh, when it comes to making stuff and, and, and why to make it and stuff, I think that that's what I would somehow try to convey is try to make sure that it drives you, that you would make mm -hmm. it regardless. And that doesn't mean, I think a, something I wish I would have heard is that it doesn't mean that the anxieties or the doubts will not be there. Mm -hmm. Like the doubts are there. Mm -hmm, sure. But if you can continually check those doubts with like a bunch of reasons that you really should be making this project, then I think it's something to go about and to say that is, is your vision. Yeah. That sounds good, yeah. So, yeah, be cool, work hard, make sure uh, it keeps you up at night. Yeah. Yeah. Stay up. Stay up. Don't sleep. <laughs> yeah. Get Don't up. Sleep. Get, get some up. Uh, refreshing eye drops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Was, you're uh, on top of being a good filmmaker. You're very uh, um, good at talking. <laughs> thanks for having me yeah thanks for coming on Nico thanks for having uh, me. peace if you enjoyed this episode of The Take please subscribe and give a review on iTunes thank you so much